This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Hallelujah. Well, um, welcome to Wednesday night service. We've got a nice crowd here tonight, so that's awesome. Um, I, 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 we had the announcements up there earlier. I'm just reminding that we do have membership class on the last Saturday of this month. I've had a lot of people wanting to go through the class because we postponed it in December. Uh, so if you haven't gone through membership, the sign-up sheet is back there. Go ahead and sign up, and uh, the, you get a whole Saturday morning with me. I'm just going to lay that out there. You get to spend a Saturday morning with me. Yes, I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, so just ask my wife how fun that is. She loves it too. So anyway, good times, good times. Well, let's go ahead and uh, we're going to have our Wednesday night tithes and offerings. So what time is it, people? Yes, it is. Let's go ahead. If you need an envelope, raise your hand. We're going to open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And this is an interesting uh, story here, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm in the New Living Translation. We're going to uh, look at a few verses here, starting in verse 1. And uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are all about giving and offerings. It's not about tithing, because there's a difference between a tithe and an offering. Uh, but this is about giving of offerings. And the church in Jerusalem had gotten themselves into a little bit of trouble. They decided to try some communal living, and they uh, they put all their stuff together and thought they'd just share it amongst themselves. Well, that that, I, that experiment failed, and uh, and they found themselves in financial trouble. Uh, and so here we are. The, Paul's going around to all these churches, and they're taking up a collection for the mother church in Jerusalem to kind of get them back on their feet. And and so, but I want you to see here in Second Corinthians eight, starting at verse one, Paul says, "Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in His kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They're being tested by many troubles." And they are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. What? Why? But it says that they're going through troubles, but that doesn't matter. They were still generous people. They didn't let some hard times stop them from being generous. Now look here at verse 3 says, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. Look at verse 4. In fact, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Now, I'm not here to advocate giving far more than you can afford. I'm not saying to do that. But what I am saying is look at these people's attitude. Here they were. They didn't have much. And they were begging for the privilege to be able to give in the offering. I mean, I'm glad that the early church, I'm glad that the very first Christians had this type of an attitude about giving. Because if they were all like a lot of modern churches and a lot of, a lot of modern Christians, like, well, they're talking about money again. But no, but no, that's not their attitude. They said, man, don't you dare take up an offering without telling us, because we want to give in it. It's a privilege to give to God. What an attitude about giving. And I'm glad they had that attitude because Christianity has spread all over the world, hasn't it? But what if there was, what if the early Christians were a bunch of stingy people and said, man, don't talk about that again. You kidding me? Get that out of here. They didn't say that. They said, let us give. We know we don't have much, but please let us give. Isn't that an incredible attitude to have about giving 
to God. Because we're not, I'm giving it to a man, I'm not giving it to a church, giving it to God. Amen? That's an incredible attitude. And I challenge us with that to, uh, to examine our attitudes and our motives when we give. Let us be as eager, let us be as joyful as these people were a couple thousand years ago. Can I get an amen on a Wednesday night? Hallelujah. All right, let's go ahead and say the financial faith confession, and then we'll uh, bring our tithes and offerings up and get into the Word. Let's do this. As we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive jobs or better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth and business, settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off, royalties received, blessings and increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs so I have more than enough to take good care of my family, to give generously in the kingdom of God, and promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Here we go. God tonight. Amen. Do you love God's word? Is it more valuable to you than millions in silver and gold, like David said? Would you rather have God's word than the finest things in this world? Then you are at the right place tonight. We're going to be talking tonight about the topic of hope. The topic of hope. And we're going to be, the title is this, the hope that we have. Now, you know, we, we all talk about faith quite a bit. We all realize that faith is obviously a very key element to being a Christian because you can't be one if you don't have faith. And Hebrews 11.6 tells us that without faith, it's actually impossible to please God. So faith is very important. We all realize that. And of course, Paul wrote that three things will endure forever, faith, hope, and love. And he said the greatest is love, but... If Paul said that hope is one of the only three things that will remain forever, hope is a pretty important thing to talk about, even though it's not something that we talk about all the time. And so I want to show you a verse here tonight in 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to, we're going to kind of start off right there, then we're going to break some stuff down. But 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Amen. you got to have hope before you can have faith. Hope is a precursor to having faith. But I want to show you something here in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. And here's something that, that Peter said regarding hope. And I'm going to actually read this one in the NIV. 1 Peter 3.15, he said, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. And so have you made that decision at least that Christ is Lord? Okay, we're on the right track. 
Then he said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you uh, to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And, you know, a lot of times I've seen people, well, well, can, why is it that you, why is it that you believe? Why is it that you, you take this Christianity so seriously? Why is it that you have this hope and, and this joy? And you need to always, you gotta always have that answer available right then. That should not be something that you need to think. I honestly, I don't know. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I don't know. You need to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. If someone says, what's up with you? Why are you always so joyful? I'll tell you why, man. Jesus Christ came and died for me, and I was a punk. I didn't deserve it, but he came, and he made a way for me. That's why I'm so happy. That's why I'm always so full of joy. That's the reason that I have hope, because Jesus lives. And if Jesus doesn't live, then there's no hope for any one of us. Do you realize the significance that Jesus did not just die on the cross, but Jesus rose again three days later? If Jesus died on the cross and that was the end of the story, there's no hope. We are hopeless because nobody overcame death. Nobody defeated death. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, I still have to be afraid of dying. But Jesus rose from the dead. I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not afraid of anything. because Jesus has overcame it all. That's good news. And that's one major reason that you have hope in this life. So before you can understand the significance and how important hope is, you have to realize that real, genuine Bible hope is not the same thing as just wishing. Because I think a lot of times you're like, well, I, 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 I wish that this would happen. I, I, I hope it would happen. And you almost use those words interchangeably. And having hope and having faith, that's not the same thing as wishing. Now, for example, someone would say, well, man, I, I, I hope I get a raise someday. That's more like a wish. You don't really, you don't, you don't get it. You're saying, it would be nice if I got a raise, but it's probably not going to happen. That's basically how you just said that. That, 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 that. That's putting wish and hope as the same thing. But hope is that initial spark that happens when you, when, when you realize, wait a minute, this situation's not impossible. There, there, there is hope. This could turn out. This could actually work out. This situation could. It is possible that this could turn around. That's when you get that spark of hope. You have to have that to get to the realm of faith. Hope starts to say, wait a minute, this is possible. And then faith says, this is going to happen. Do you see that? Faith undeniably says, oh, it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. But before you get there, you have to have that spark of hope that says, yeah, this is possible. We, th- this can be done. Do you see that? You have to have hope before you can get to faith. Hebrews 11.1. Hebrews 11.1. We're going to get into it in a minute. But Hebrews 11.1. Here's a great verse that uses both of these words. Now the King James says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. That's a, that's a great definition 
I like what the NLT says, the 2007 um, edition of the New Living Translation. They did an update in 2013, which is a great update, but I don't like the way they translated Hebrews 11.1 in that update. I like the 2007 translation of that. But Hebrews 11.1, and it says this, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. Come on. That, that is, that is, that is it right there. It says, faith is confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we cannot see. That's faith right there. That's faith. You are assured. You're convinced of something you can't even see. I mean, Faith is a crazy thing, but it's the most powerful force on this planet. When you can convince somebody of something they've never yet seen, and they would stake their entire life and future upon it, that's a powerful thing right there. Come on, that's powerful, and that's what it takes to be a born-again Christian. That's what it takes to please God. And so, hope is that first step to having faith. It's a precursor to faith. In any area. But we're going to look at a few reasons tonight. Because Peter said you need to be able to give a reason for the hope that you have. So what is the hope and the belief that we have? Well, that's a very broad topic. There's a lot of things that we could say about this. But I want to tackle just three things tonight about what is the hope and the belief that we have. And my goal tonight is to encourage and build you up. My goal tonight is for you to leave this place ready to take on the world, okay? I'm going to dish it out. you got to catch it, okay? I already fired myself up with this today, okay? I preached to myself. It worked on me. Let's get it to work on you too, okay? Let's go. So what is the hope and the belief that we have? Number one, well, it's that things can always get better. There is never a situation that you should face and say, well, I don't, this, this is it. It, it can't, I don't, I don't see this ever turning around. If you get to the place where you say that, You have lost hope. And losing hope is a dangerous place to be in. If, if, if you could honestly say, I've lost all hope, that's, that, that, I, 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 that's, I'm sad. That, that makes me sad that you would be able to say that and actually mean that. That's a bad spot to be in. And I realize and I comprehend and I understand that a lot of us have been in that spot where we could say, I, I, I have, this can't turn around. That I, I've lost hope. That's a bad place to be in. You can get out of it, but it's really going to take digging into God's word and listening to him. So what is a hope and a belief that we have? Well, the one is that things can always get better. We all go through difficult times. Who could say amen to that? But as a Christian, we realize that the bad things we go through, it's temporary. It's going to turn around. There is no bad thing that happens to me that's the permanent, final answer. No bad thing is going to happen to me. That, that, that That's it. You know, it's, this is it. It's not going to turn around. And in the day that we live in, I would not want to face 2019 without having Jesus firmly as my best friend. I need Jesus every second of every day. And I've said it before. People are like, oh, you, you, you Christians, you, you use Jesus as a crutch. I'm like, man, he's not, he's life support for me. Okay. He's a stretcher. I'm a paralyzed fool without Jesus. Don't, don't insult. Yes, absolutely. He, he's not just a crutch. He's much more than that. Yes, I'm that weak without Jesus. 
And I'm not insulted to say that. I am that weak without Jesus. I don't want to go five minutes. I can't imagine going a whole day, let alone a whole lifetime, without having Jesus. Talk about having no hope. You see a bad situation and something bad comes to you. Absolutely, man. Of course you're going to do crazy things. Of course you're going to lose your mind because you don't have Jesus, the anchor of your soul. You have no hope if you don't have Jesus mixed into the situation. Now I'm thinking about this guy in the Old Testament named Joseph. Anybody heard of Joseph? Now Joseph, man, this was a guy that went through the ringer. He had some bad stuff happen to him. He had worse things happen to him than you've had happen to you and that I've had happen to me. I can't imagine going through the things that Joseph went through. Let's flip over to Genesis 41. We're going to go there. There's, I mean, there, I had to edit this because there's so much that we could say about Joseph. But uh, So I've just boiled it down to one verse. But there's dozens of verses to fully get this whole story. But first of all, Joseph, his mom dies when he's young, right? His mom dies. And so, I mean, that's obviously not a very fun way to kind of start your childhood. So his mom dies. That's one bad thing that happens. But then, of course, him and his brother Benjamin are his dad's favorites. And yes, dad had favorites. (laughs) And so uh, and so uh, him and Benjamin, those those are his, his favorite kids. And because of that, you know, this there was big time jealousy amongst the other brothers. And so they're tired of it. They're sick of it. And so they, they arranged that, you know, they, they stripped Joseph of his coat. They throw him down into a pit. And they were just going to leave him to die. They were just going to leave him down. Can you imagine your own brothers stripping you and throwing you down into a pit? I mean, for real. That's a, I, that would be bad. Your mom's dead. The other brothers gang up on you and they, they, they throw you down into a pit. They're just going to leave you to die. They don't care. They're already coming up with a story. Well, we'll tell dad that he got attacked by a wild animal. Let's take his coat back and we'll rip it up and, and put some blood on it. And that way dad will think that he really got. But then a caravan is coming by, right? People from that are going over to Egypt. And, and they say, ah, oh, here we go. Why let him die when we can make some money off of this? This could be a lucrative opportunity for us. And so they sell him into slavery. Now, I'm starting to think like, man, this guy just can't catch a break. This is, everywhere he turns, something bad happens. I would start to, th- I, I would be tempted at that point to be like, man, this is hopeless. <laughs> I can't do anything right. Every time I do something, things just seem to get worse. And so he's, he's sold into slavery and, and he ends up serving in a guy named Potiphar's house, right? He, you know this story. And of course, he doesn't stay at the bottom of the servant list for long. He rises to the top and he's, he's in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. Potiphar trusts Joseph with his money, with everything. Then of course, you know, Joseph was a very good looking young man. I don't know how to judge that, but at the same time, apparently the ladies thought he was handsome. And so, here we are, here we are. Uh, Potiphar's wife, said, she's begging Joseph, you know, come on, I, I would like to uh, have a relationship with you. And so, I don't know the nice way to say that, but anyway. And so she's begging, and he's like, no, 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 I, never, 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 never. But, but finally, she gets mad because she gets rejected again, and, and she accuses him of rape. Am I, on, am I on the right track? You follow me? You've read the story. Okay. And so he gets arrested and thrown into prison. He's falsely accused 
and falsely convicted. And here he is sentenced to life in prison. And so every time he seems to be making a little progress, finally, he may be a slave, but at least he's at the top of the slave life. But nope, then he gets falsely, and now he is in prison. And then in prison, yet again, Joseph rises to the top. And in fact, the prison warden has so much confidence, he puts Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. Now, I don't have a law degree. I don't know much about criminal justice. But I do know this much. You don't typically put one prisoner in charge of the whole prison in charge of all the others. I wouldn't do that. That doesn't make much sense. Uh, but that's what they did. And in fact, Joseph, he, he, he ran the prison, though he himself was incarcerated and was a prisoner. And, and the prison was doing great. It, it was just, it was working. And Joseph had this ability to interpret dreams, right? And so he's interpreting dreams for people and he's dead on every single time. And people are like, you know what? I'm getting out of this prison. I will put in a good word for you. But nobody keeps their word. Nobody. They, they get out. They forget all about the guy that was able to get them out of prison. And so finally, the Pharaoh has this dream and he doesn't know what it means. And everybody's, oh, wait, yeah, well, I, there is a guy down there in the prison. And he, believe it or not, he can interpret dreams. That's that's what he does. And Joseph goes and nails the dream right on, man. And so here we have it. And he is promoted to being the vice president, the, the, you know, the second in command of all of Egypt. Now, we're not talking about some rinky-dink country here, okay? We're talking about Egypt was the world power of the time. We're taking somebody out of prison and putting them in charge of everybody, the entire country. That's insanity, but I want to show you something here. Genesis 41, and we'll look here, Genesis 41 at, and at verse 48. Or excuse me, 41 and verse 38. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Joseph was so filled with God's spirit that even to the sinner, even to an evil, wicked person, they could they could see it. It was all over him. But the story of Joseph, one thing that I get, you read this whole thing, go back to chapter 37 and keep reading. Joseph never lost hope. Read it. Not one time did Joseph say, God, why'd you do this to me? What? Well, here I am serving you. I can't believe this. Oh, I, I'm about to give up. I'm on the point of, of giving up and never coming back. He, he didn't say one thing like that the entire way through. Can you imagine that? They, they beat him down. They beat him. They sold him. They, they did all wicked things to him. But he never lost hope. And so I'm telling you tonight that even though you may be in a bad spot, maybe you are not where you need to be right now. As long as you don't lose hope, there's a chance. And, and, and beyond that, there's more than a chance. When you can get that hope all the way into full-fledged faith, the mountains will begin to move. That's good. All right? That's good news for you. But Joseph never, ever, ever lost hope in any of these situations he was filled with the Spirit of God. And when you are filled with the Spirit of God, when you're a person that always has hope, a person that's walking in faith, it's obvious to everybody else around you. It's obvious. 
And even in this situation, Pharaoh, who I can guarantee you was not serving God, okay? The Egyptians were not righteous people, not good people at all. But Pharaoh himself said, is there anyone like this that's so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? If you can get Pharaoh to say that about you, you've got something special. And what Joseph had through it, he had faith. But Joseph never, through any of these circumstances, he never lost hope. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4.17. 2 Corinthians 4.17. So Joseph, he kept getting knocked down, but he kept getting right back up. The book of Proverbs tells us you can knock a righteous man down seven times. He just keeps getting back up. But one hit is enough to take the wicked down and they'll, they won't get back up. That's, that's something right there. The righteous, I don't mean, I don't want to keep taking hits, but I know I can. I'll keep getting right back up. Seven times. He'll, the, and what does that mean? That means the right, you can't keep the righteous person down. Is there any righteous people in this church tonight? Yes, you are righteous. And that's not a conceited thing to say. It's just the truth. Because you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But here we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And Paul says this. He says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Thank God for that. They won't last very long. That's good news. And look at this. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. And so whatever your trouble is right now, it is temporary at the very, very best. But the glory that's awaiting you, that's not going to end. That's a permanent thing. Don't lose your hope and miss out on the eternal glory. Miss out on the real thing. And think about that. No matter what your problem is. I promise you, it's temporary. If you get a hold of faith, you can knock it out in this lifetime. Worst case, you don't get a hold of faith, and you, and you know, whatever. It's temporary even then. Even if you didn't get rid of the, even if you didn't knock it out. Because you didn't get into faith. It's still temporary. This life is temporary. And that's good news. You know what? People want to live, for, I don't want to live 150 years. I really don't. I don't want to wait that long to see Jesus face to I'm just being honest. I'm good 90, 100, whatever. And I know a lot of people, they just want to keep living and living and live. And that's cool, man. But I, I don't, I don't want to be 200 years old on planet earth. I want to die before then, man. I want to die. I want to go to heaven and see Jesus. That may sound crazy to you, but I'm just being real right now. I'm not going to die of some crazy sickness or get hit by a bus or something like that. But at the same time, I'm cool to be 90, 100, whatever. That's fine. Lay down and die. I am good with that and go see Jesus. I don't want to live 150 or 200 years. I don't. This, I mean, there's a lot of great things to enjoy on this earth, but there is nothing in comparison to seeing Jesus. I want to die and go to heaven. And, uh, you know, at the right time, but at the same time, I don't want to live forever and ever and ever. I, on this earth. I want to be able to die peacefully and go to heaven with Jesus. Because everything in this world is absolutely temporary. 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 And you, you, when you get that, when you get that realization, and, and for some of you, it clicks. Some of you, it's not clicking, but that's fine. It will. But, but, but when you get the realization that every circumstance 
is just temporary. You get a smile on your face. Oh, man, that's right. Whatever's going on. Worst case scenario. It's not going to last forever. I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus. And that's enough to make you want to run and dance and do something crazy. But I'm telling you right now. It's temporary. The present troubles are small and they won't last very long. And isn't it funny? Sometimes the things that you thought were just an absolute mountain, you look back and you're like, I thought that was, I thought that was the worst thing I ever faced. Oh my gosh. That was nothing. That was, that was, that's nothing at all. Because at the time, we magnify the problems, don't we? We, we say, oh my, this is the worst. And, and, and we tend to build up the problems. But I can look back on things now that I thought were just an absolute titanic mammoth problem. And I'm like, wow, I have beaten things ten times larger than that through my faith in Jesus Christ. At this point, that was absolutely nothing. But once you pass one test, you get to move on to bigger and better things. And so, what is some of the reasons for the hope within us well this stuff's all temporary but number two we always have this hope that god is with us there isn't there is never a day that god is not with us and of course everybody here would say yes i know that but that that should be enough to put a smile on your face right there there is never a day never a moment that you could say well god wasn't with me on that one that is a lie that is a lie he is, he is always there for you. Now, some people choose to walk away from him, but he didn't abandon them. They walked away from him. But it's not because he wanted it. And so, as I look back to the story of Joseph, I encourage you to read that again. You can start at chapter 37 of Genesis and read on through the 40s. But there's this phrase that is repeated over and over again. And I've highlighted it and underlined it. And, it's, and it says this, And the Lord was with Joseph in the pit, in slavery, in the prison, in this and in that. It keeps saying it. It'll say, man, this this really bad thing happened to Joseph. But the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph had this hope, and he was right, that he was never alone. God was always there every single day. And wouldn't it be amazing if, you know, say somebody, what if somebody wrote a book about your life? And, 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 and someone's reading it years later and they're like, wow, man, a lot of really bad stuff. This person, they, they faced a lot of really big stuff. But again, the Lord was with Michael. The Lord was with Virginia. But, uh, oh my gosh, th- th- this happened to Leah? This happened to Robert? Oh my, oh, but the Lord was with Robert. The Lord was with Maxine. The Lord was with Elise. The Lord, and you know what? When we look back on your life, we're going to be able to say that. Say, oh my gosh, they, they, they faced this, but the Lord was with them. And then they got out of it, and, and they made it through it. And, and, then it and, and then they moved on to the next big thing in life, and, 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 then, and then they were one big success. Why is that? Because no matter what you throw a born-again Christian's way, we're not facing it alone. The Lord is with us. That's a big thing right there. That's something to get excited about, man. We're not facing this thing on our own. And I know that, you know, we got that story, the footprints in the sand. That I, I've heard that my whole life, but that is so amazing. That's a beautiful poem right there where this guy, who's heard it? Don't make me tell it. Okay. Thank Good. Okay. Good. Good. I'll, say, I'll save it. I will save it. But listen, you look back on your life like, man, these difficult times. 
There's just one set of footprints there. Where was God? And of course, that's where that's where he was carrying you through the storm so you didn't have to walk it on your own. That's a that's a big deal right there. And I know in my life and in your life, you're going to look back and say, yep, there's that one set of footprints. I knew it. I knew he carried me through that. There's no way that I did that on my own. And that's a beautiful thing to be able to look back on. Man, let's give the Lord a shout tonight. God's good, isn't he? God is good, man. Well, let's look at Daniel chapter 6. I think I got over uh, overzealous again. I maybe tried to fit too much into a Wednesday. <laughs> Daniel chapter 6. So here we have it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here we go. And so Nebuchadnezzar sets up the 90-foot golden statue, and he says, everybody, when you hear the music, you bow down to the statue, and I'll do you a real favor. I'll let you live. If you don't bow down to it, we will kill you, and we will kill you by burning you to death. And so there's lots of people. There's a lot of Israelites there in Babylon. They had been taken captive. So there was a whole lot of people there that did not agree with this. But they heard the music, they're like, well, I, I don't want to get burned, so here we go. They bowed down anyway. They compromised their beliefs. Isn't that sick? I mean, I, I've never been in that spot where someone said they would burn me alive if I didn't bow down to their statue. But I really believe that I wouldn't do it. I, I believe, and I believe that you you would have the, the, the guts to say, you know what? I'm not bowing down to that stupid thing. You bow down to it. I'm not doing it. And so Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he, he already has it out for these guys anyway. And, and so here we are. And, and he says, they're not bowing down. So he confronts them and says, why? Hey, what's the deal? You guys aren't bowing down to the statue when the music plays. We're going to give you another shot because I know that must have been a mistake on your part. But remember, the music plays, you bow down. They say, no, nah, no, we're not bowing down to that thing ever. They said, our God will save us. And, and, and they really did say this. They said, but even if he didn't save us, we would never bow down to that stupid thing ever. Throw us in the fire. Do it. And so here we go. He, he gets so mad, it says, that his face became di- distorted with rage. Rage overtook him because he was wicked and evil. And, and, and so he orders them thrown in. But you know the story. He says, Turn the heat up seven times hotter than what it normally is. And so the guys that are throwing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, they just get close to the fire. It is so hot that they fall and they die just getting close to it. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they they get up there and they fall down into the fire. Daniel chapter 6, starting here at verse 24. And so they fell face down into the fire and, and everybody's watching Everybody's watching. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Wait a minute, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Well, guess what, dude? It was God. It was Jesus himself. You can study that out, and that's provable. Jesus showed up in the fire with these guys. Why did Jesus show up? Because the Lord was with Joseph, even in the fire. The Lord was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Even in the fire, the Lord was with John, Pam, 
Norma, Reuben. Anyway, the Lord was with them even in the fire. Who's been in the fire before? Figuratively speaking, you've been in the fire. But guess what? I've never been in the fire alone. There's always been that fourth man in the fire with me. And so here we have it. Verse 26, the Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, cardinal, and the men saw that the fire had not touched them. How do you step, how do you walk through fire and it doesn't even touch you? Fourth man, the Lord was with them. Not a hair on their heads was singed and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Doesn't it pay to still have hope in God? Even when someone says, I'll kill you if you don't give this stuff up. I will kill you. Do it. Please do me a favor. Do it. I don't care. Do it. And that's what Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego's attitude was. And when that's your attitude, you have got God on your side. And the Lord protected them, and their faith did not fail them. And your faith is not going to fail you either. Can I get an amen tonight? So the third thing we'll say is this. We're talking about how, how do we have hope? What is the hope and the belief? We actually have. And the third thing is this. It's that heaven awaits us. And you're looking at a guy right here that desperately wants to go to heaven. Uh, and uh, I'm a, you, anybody that has any relation of heaven at all. When you have a, when you realize how real heaven is, things in this world lose so much of their enticement. So much of the power that they have over you so much. Uh, 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 there's so many things in this world that, that, that if heaven isn't really that real to you, it's real easy to get addicted to stuff. It's real easy to get bound in different things. It's real easy because you think, well, I need this to make me feel, but I, I, I'd, I'd be a lot happier. And, and, and if I could, do, but, but if, if heaven is really a reality to you, you're like, I don't need that. Man, please. I'll be in heaven for billions of years. That'll never end. Why would I want that for one year, two years, five years, a hundred years? If you live to be 150, do you realize that that is not, that doesn't even register on the screen of eternity? That is nothing. Everything that you see is temporary. This building will be down someday. Not one stone on top of another, like Jesus said about the temple. This desert will be gone someday. Everything is temporary, but heaven is not temporary. Why would I, why would I risk heaven for some sort of temporary junk in this world that's just going to get burned up someday? It's not worth it. There's not anything worth heaven. There's not anything worth losing heaven over. I'll tell you that right now. And so why do we have this hope and belief? Well, because we realize that heaven is real and it awaits us. Second Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's get there. 2 Corinthians 12. Who's having a good time at church tonight? 2 Corinthians 12. 
And we're going to look at verses 2 through 4 here. Now, Paul had a great experience, a great opportunity. Paul was allowed to visit and view heaven before he ever died. Now, some people do get that experience. Obviously, not very many people, but there are a handful of people that God allows to get a glimpse of heaven. Now, Paul, he doesn't know if he was actually physically there or if it was a vision. He doesn't know because he says that. But, uh, but he didn't get to see heaven. And, and let's look at what Paul wrote about heaven here. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 2 through 4. He says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Now, the Bible talks about three heavens. There's the sky that we can immediately see here. That's the first heaven. There's outer space. That's the second heaven. Then the third heaven where Paul went is where Jesus and the angels and where you will live someday. That's the third heaven. So he says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. So he says, I, was it a vision? Was I actually, I, I, really, I don't know. But look at this. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. There's things no human is allowed to tell. Now, I think it's incredible. I, I mean, you may think I'm, I'm weird. I think about heaven all the time. I'll just sit there and like, man, wow, what's it like? I want to see it. I think about heaven. And you may think that I'm weird, but I think you're weird because you don't think about heaven ever. That's weird. A Christian that doesn't think about heaven? What a weirdo. But anyway, so, so Paul says it, it was beautiful. It, it, there's things there that you, you can't even express in words. You can't even begin to describe the things that are in heaven. And I don't know about you, that just piques my curiosity more like, well, what'd you see, dude? What was it that you couldn't describe? I want to see it. I want to get there. And so for us, you have to realize that heaven is real. It's not made up. But you also have to realize that not everybody just goes there. You aren't being born into this world does not qualify you to get to heaven. Being born again, second time. Being born for a second time, spiritually speaking, born again and sticking with Jesus, right? Sticking with Jesus, that qualifies, that gets you into heaven. You mean someone that never makes mistakes? No, there's nobody like that. But somebody that has enough sense to lay down their pride and say, I was wrong. I sinned. Jesus, forgive me and help me to stop. That's what I'm talking about. That's a Christian right there. And somebody like that, that's the type. That they've got this hope in heaven. There's an old saying, you know, you ever heard of that? That Well, that guy, he, he, he's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. I've heard people say that. And, uh, and that's fine. But my, my, my dad has this saying where he says, you have to be heavenly minded if you're going to be any earthly good at all. If you don't think about heaven, you're no good. You're, you know, you're no, you're no use. Somebody that doesn't think about heaven, they have no urgency to go pray for other people. They don't have no urgency to go out and witness and tell people about Jesus. Somebody that never thinks about heaven, probably a real selfish person. Probably someone that just wants to know what they can do to make this life as much of heaven as they can conjure up and manufacture don't manufacture your own heaven. Jesus has the real thing. 
Now, of course, work hard, buy nice things. That's fine. Not a thing wrong with that. But I realize I'm not going to make my life about that and try to manufacture a replica of heaven down here. Can't happen. Couldn't be done. The real thing is what I'm shooting for. Revelation 21, my last place. Now, Revelation 21, uh, John, the apostle, gives a really a, a, the most description that we have about heaven. He describes the gold and the streets and the river. Uh, he describes the, the 12 gates. There are 12 gates uh, that are each made out of one giant pearl. Uh, the walls, he says how thick the walls are off the top of my mind. I don't remember, but I think they're like 1,400 feet thick or something like that. So heaven, uh, he says it's a city. Uh, heaven is a city, uh, a walled city, and, and it's, a, a, it's an amazing, beautiful place. But let's look here at Revelation 21 and verse 4. And it says this, Revelation 21 and verse 4. And here's something that I love about heaven. It says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I want that. I want that. And I've got this hope. I've got this faith on the inside of me. I've never seen it yet, but I'm convinced that, that this is real. This is not made. This is a real thing. And I want to get there. And I'm never going to lose hope from heaven. I'm going to keep it on the forefront of my mind every day. And I encourage you to do the exact same thing. And as I close out, I just want to share a quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the best explanation is that I was made for another world. There's something on the inside of you that can never be satisfied in this world. Why is that? Because you weren't made for this world. You were made for another world. Never lose hope. You've got to keep that alive on the inside of you. As long as you've got hope, you're in the ball game, right? But moving into faith and start throwing some mountains into the sea. Amen? All right, let's go ahead and stand up. We've got to be done tonight. We have to be done right now. This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org.